Hey, Tron. Hey, Marcy. How's it going? Just living in the times of Rona. I know. <laughs> I, um, I don't feel great. And all I hear in my head is Cardi B saying, coronavirus. And like, coronavirus. Every, yeah, like every time like my throat hurts or like I feel like a bit of a spike in my fever. Like I'm like, there, it's here, coronavirus. I feel and, like you are every woman right now. Yeah, no, I think it's all of us. Like every single, like we get an itch in our throat and it's like, that's it. Like my time has come. It's, it's time. So, well, speaking yeah. about it being time, welcome back, all of you pop culture theologians. We haven't figured out what to call you with this season. Westworldies? Westers? Westies. Westies? <laughs> We're going to go with Westies. Welcome back, Westies, to the pop culture theologians. We're so excited you're back with us. Um, we are two academics who worship at the altar of pop culture because frankly it brings us joy in the life and right now it's really all we got so um make sure you're following us on twitter and facebook at pop theologians um marcy who went viral this week thanks to a retweet from our queen evan rachel wood marcy where can we follow you actually somewhere new oh 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 dun 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 <laughs> Yeah. Uh, hey, everyone. You can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Magdalena on fire. Um, I updated my my like tagline. Yeah. Mostly because I was tired of you calling it like old and stale. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I watched Portrait of a Lady on Fire recently and was so moved by it that I was like, you know what? That's kind of what I want to own right now in this moment. <laughs> mm. But, you know, so, speaking yeah, of boring idea. and basic things. Yeah, but where can we find you, John? Where can we find you since 1998? Um, so first of all, 1985. But technically, you can find me at jerickson85 on Twitter and Instagram and the Facebooks um, and not Pinterest. That's a secret account. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you can find us live tweeting during the episodes usually. You'll usually find me live tweeting because I'm on the East Coast, so I get the show first. Um, but if you're on the West Coast, follow John. Um, so Where excited. are you on the East Coast, Marcy? In hell. <laughs> Thank you so much. Speaking yeah. of hell, Marcy, what the <laughs> fuck happened this week? Well, as a Floridian, I thought we could start off with Governor DeSantis um, has designated WWE, which is wrestling for all of you that don't follow it. Uh, you shouldn't have to. Um, as an essential uh, business in Florida. Did you grow I mean, up watching WWE? I mean, yes, but for very different reasons. <laughs> it is. It was essential it. to my adolescence. There we go. I grew up watching it too, but um, but mind blowing that it's considered an essential business. Um, but if any of you guys have been following Florida, Florida is the opposite of California and New York. We are a prime example of what not to do in a pandemic. Um, or generally, generally, and in, in general, we uh we've refused to to close our beaches. We've refused to do um. A lot of things that would have helped to not postpone our peak were one of the latest, like, projected peaks for COVID-19 in the country because of our very slow response. So just it's just weird watching, you know, like, I'm a Californian, like, watching California, you know, start to be able to have discussions about potentially the slow steps to reopening 
and Florida's like, nah, we're going to reopen next weekend. Who cares? And it's just so weird. Like it's, um, I've never felt the independence of the States more acutely than I have during the pandemic. How about you? Uh, I mean, I'm thankful I live in California. Right. And connected to this and really huge. What the fucks, um, Trump declared in one of his, daily press propaganda briefings that he has absolute power as president of the United States. Well, in his mind. <laughs> it is, it is really crazy that we've gotten to the point where that is like barely a blip in the news rooms. Right. Yeah. Um, we Minus expect the 10th amendment. Right. Right. We expect him to say that we expect him to think he has absolute power. Um, we know that he's convinced he is a dictator and a king all wrapped in one. His children are his natural successors, um, except for the one that I always forget her name as well. Tiffany. Tiffany, the one Trump forgets too. Um, but that's like really kind of a big deal. Like we've never really had a public official declare himself. I would say herself, but we just can't seem to get our women through to the presidency. Um, just to declare that they have absolute power. I felt like hearing Jafar in Aladdin when like he falls for the like absolute power shit that Aladdin feeds him. And he's like, yes, I'll become a genie. And then doesn't realize that there's constraints to that. So I feel like this is, I saw this on Twitter or Facebook somewhere. I feel like we're in the time where like Scar took over Pride Rock. Yes. Yes. Except Scar was way smarter and sexier. Oh, okay. Well, we're going to move on from that last point. <laughs> Speaking of absolute power and fighting back against it, what's our second what the fuck of the week, Mars? So I've been noticing a trend of women in the press briefings, and there's not a lot left because a lot of you know journalists have decided to no longer attend them because they're propaganda briefings. They've been pushing back, and it's been amazing. Um, they've been pushing back. They've been hitting Trump hardcore with questions and not easing up when he decides his usual stop being nasty. Um, he loves calling women nasty, which like, oh, throw it. Um, gross. Um, but it's been, it's been really good to see some like real pushback. And then I'm not a huge fan of CNN, but CNN covered the press briefings this week, finally with some authenticity and was like Trump having full meltdown during his propaganda campaign. Like it was like for, for the first time ever, they stopped with the pretense of this is normal and just started acknowledging what was happening on the TV. He had a major meltdown this past week. So, um, so I think that that's really, it's been nice to see that. Yeah, I mean, like he um, can't do his regular Nazi propaganda rallies anymore right. and all of his craziness. So he's um, taken over these press briefings because people are watching them because they think, you know, they're seeing the leader of the quote unquote free world, you know, try to bring calm and facts into the world. But it's just really him talking about crazy. Sh like he opens up with like, I think it was yesterday or the day before he opened up with like an update on the wall and Mexico pay not paying for it. Like I was like, what the fuck does this have to do with a global pandemic? You stupid. Like what is going on? And then I turn it off and then I turn it off. Yeah. No, um, I, Brett and I, my husband and I decided to no longer kind of tune in. I can get the gist of it from Twitter and I don't need to feed his obsession with saying how good his ratings are. Um, so, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, and our last one, we've been kind of doing this every week, but I just think because so many of us are 
Um, stuck at home, whether by privilege or um, misfortune, um, huge love and hugs to anyone who may have lost um, their jobs or have been furloughed during this pandemic. We're thinking of you. We're with you. We stand in solidarity with you. Um, but that means a lot of us are watching TV. Um, and a lot of us are learning that our jobs could be done from home and that our jobs are essential. I think there's just like an overwhelming kind of like curve coming in regards to the workforce. But right now, what are we all doing? Napping and watching TV if we're not on the front lines. Mm -hmm. um, even those of us that work, um, I have to say that for HR. Um, so have you this been watching a regularly scheduled lunch break? Uh, exactly. Um, have you been watching anything fun or Oh my new? goodness. Yes. Oh my goodness. Okay. okay sure. So what? I'm so, oh my God, I'm so excited. So, um, I've been thinking about like what I've been watching and just for the viewers, like I, I work for an essential provider. So I just got back from doing some work at the office as well as on the run for, um, supplies for our health centers. Um, but additionally, um, what's been getting me through is I finished the second season of Star Trek Discovery. That was not what I expected you to say. <laughs> First of all, it's incredible. Um, I have not um, started new shows. Like I haven't started on Orthodox and I haven't started a few things because I have been, and we always are so busy, right? But what I'm taking this time is to finish the stuff I've stopped. So I finished the episode. I finished um, Homecoming starring Julia Roberts. It was great. Um, and I actually rewatched the last two episodes realizing I watched them, but then forgot I watched them. And I was like, what the fuck's going on? And I felt like her in the series. So I was a little bit weird. Um, and then, so speaking of Star Trek Discovery, and then I decided, and I texted Marcy this this morning, I'm finishing The Leftovers. I'm going to do it. Yes. The Leftovers makes me really happy. For those of you who have not watched it or heard of it, The Leftovers was an HBO show. It aired for three seasons. It is a perfect capsule show. It's actually about like waking up and 2% of the world is gone, like disappears out of nowhere in the middle of like nothing. Um, and what happens to a world when 2% of people leave, which actually in a, in a really scary real way feels kind of parallel to COVID, right? And it's, it's mortality rates. And what does it mean as a world to face a 2% loss of humans overnight, right? What happens to us? What happens to our faith? What happens to our relationships? It is such a good show. I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and I'm just really enjoying it. And so I am going to be finishing that. Um, and then I'm going to finish Star Trek Picard because, you know, just like, don't at me right now, Marcy, don't at me. I'm not, I'm not going to judge anyone's coping mechanisms during a pandemic. Um, I'm the girl who watched every Love Island episode too quickly and now doesn't have any left. For the pandemic. First of all, stop lying to the listeners. You are watching it again for a second <laughs> or third time. So stop your lying. Stop your lying. I've, I have thought about going back. I um, I was talking to my brother that I find myself circling like less and less serious TV shows and stuff because everything feels really heavy. And so, um, yeah, I've been watching like a lot of Bravo, obviously Love Island. Um, but then I was uh, I picked up Pushing Daisies again, which was a show that. Um, during the writer's strike 10 years ago, which for anyone young listening was like forever ago. Um, it's a show that got cut off like way too early and it's like beautiful and funny and, um, and smart. And so I, I've been watching that. And then, um, John, 
I have a confession to make. This is a safe space. I rewatched Crimes of Grindelwald this week. And listeners, take a shot. I didn't hate it. <laughs> wow. Wow. I know. Okay, listeners, I think I know what our next special episode is. The Crimes <laughs> of Grindelwald. Revisit it. <laughs> Redux. It's, I mean, look, it's still nonsensical. I just, maybe I'm going to do, like, I don't know. I can't, I honestly, like, can't put words to why it didn't bother me as much as it did the first time. So I'll figure it out. Marcy, I've let the listeners been, know, like, your background with Harry Potter, though, real quick, and why you're, a, like, so invested. I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. I wrote my master's thesis on the theology of Harry Potter. Um, I, I'm just, I'm a, I'm a traditional Potterhead and I was really shocked at just how inconsistent Crimes of Grindelwald was with the canon that we had before with even the movie that came before. Um, so if you haven't listened to our episode on Crimes of Grindelwald, I lost my shit for like approximately an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah. So for me to say I rewatched it and I didn't hate it, um, that's huge. And then I will also admit that I may be in the process of rewatching season eight of Game of Thrones. So I like, honestly, this uh. pandemic getting to me, everyone needs to pray, light a candle. Cause I'm obviously like going soft. I have no idea. I can't believe you would do me dirty like that. I know. And with that, <laughs> speaking of doing someone dirty, what do you think about breaking down episode five of Westworld? Let's do it. So, what an episode, huh? Okay, I, Marcy, as we talked about, live tweeted, got Evan Rachel Wood, our queen, to retweet her, and all the amazingness that was this episode. And then when I watched it, I usually watch it Monday morning sometimes, maybe not Sunday, but I knew because of Marcy's reaction, I had to watch it. Um, and after I got done watching it, I, I texted Marcy and I said, probably my favorite episode of the series. <laughs> Whereas I kept texting you like head explosion emojis because I was like, I, I was not drunk. I like was completely sober watching it. And I'm like, what is happening? Like what is happening for the first 20 minutes? It took me a bit to settle into the episode, not because it was bad, but because it was like being in like the Buffy musical episode where it just uh, took me a bit to be like situated. Um, love that then, episode. I know, I know. And then when I was writing the outline for this episode, I realized not actually that much happens in this episode. It's just that the um, director takes her time with getting us from point A to point B with both flashbacks that center on Ciroc, but then also this really crazy treatment for this entire episode, hence the title genre, um, where Caleb is our guide throughout this whole episode while he's tripping balls on a drug that is kind of like him doing a choose your own chapter like episode based off of like film genres. So, so a super interesting episode. Um, it is Ciroc centered with Caleb at the forefront of kind of the storytelling. Yeah. Uh, and one thing, because Marcy hasn't seen it yet, um, I said, and I tweeted this, is that this episode is so like um, the amazing other HBO series, Watchmen, with their episode, um, uh, 
where they discuss the drug that she takes called nostalgia. And there is just a level of story writing and storytelling here that's being done very differently of like in their own worlds. But I saw the connection right away and with Ciroc and everything, it's just like, it. Re- I think it started off so strong and we wanted to know who Ciroc was. So I, he isn't Ford's yes. brother. No, I was wrong. Wait, say that again. <laughs> I was wrong. Um, was I wrong? I was wrong. Um, Got it. No, you were wrong. so we, I we totally wrong. do find out that Ciroc is not Ford's brother, though I will still argue that that imagery did really evoke Ford um, and his brother in the recreation of his childhood home. But in this episode, we do get kind of like the birth of the system of Robom, right? Um, and, and the entire premise is that the destruction of Paris, which we saw in, in the last episode, is the catalyst to to setting Sirach off almost on a quest, like a mythical quest. And I think that that parallels very well with Caleb being on the genre drug and kind of being on a quest to shut down the system with Dolores, right? Yeah. Um, so I will admit that like, if I saw my, my hometown destroyed right in front of me that would be a catalyst as a human as a person in this world raised by humans um that we know of that we know of that's like my favorite line from elf is when the little girl looks at um at elf and says like i'm a human raised by humans because like he introduces himself as a human raised by elves um but we have kind of this catalyst for this character that makes sense. If, if the future you saw was so devastating, so mind-blowingly destructive, and, and you are marked by it as a child, you would be working through that for the rest of your life. Like, we talk about trauma all the time. Now, add to that a super scientific brain uh, and your brother's brain and some Silicon Valley money and we end up with Sirach and his brother um, focusing their energies on using predictive data um, to predict and mold the future and to control humans. Um, we, I mean, the show had not been explicit yet that humans were actively being controlled until this episode, I think, at least I feel. It was implied, but this is the first time we get a full, like, 100%, like, this is like the Matrix, like, you have opted in. Um, whether it's or not pretty incredible with the ways in which those two brothers had like this singular notion, but I like the storyline of the two brothers speaking of crimes of Grindelwald, but I like the two notions <laughs> of the brothers and how obviously Sirach, like you wonder what happened to his other brother. Right. Right. And so like the first couple scenes show them processing Paris and then them working with insight with Liam's father explaining the process. Liam's father does not have like enough insight to understand what they're, no pun intended, what they're actually proposing. And he's seeing it in like dollars and cents. And like, it takes a bit for him to actually come on board and recognize it. Like, this isn't about like predicting the outcome of Wall Street. This is about all of mankind, right? Um, And then we flash, like not really flashback. It's like we're following two different narratives that are about to collide. So then we get to Caleb and Caleb is high as fuck. 
Oh, well, he he doesn't mean to get high. He basically gets for he gets forcefully dosed. Right. So Liam, thinking that he could get out of the situation, like slips Caleb the drug, thinking maybe it'll like disarm him and disable him. No, it just makes for a more fun adventure. Um, yeah. Which is kind of how I read this episode. Um, this episode is honestly just a. It feels long, but it's not like a walk through Ciroc's life journey and Dolores going to Insight to destroy the system. (laughs) And committing a very serious... We finally know what Dolores is going to do. Yes, yes. Um, So we're getting all these flashbacks through Caleb. Um, We find out that Ciroc, and speaking of his brother, um, he works with his brother, um, and they've worked on predictive um, technology that could then be used to kind of implement um, some some propulsion of human activity. Like um, a really simple version of this is, you know, how when you are like talking uh, around your phone, let's just say right now in this exact moment, I say Pizza Hut, Pizza Hut, Pizza Hut. Within five minutes, I'm going to get an ad for Pizza Hut, right? I so, mean, Yeah. <laughs> My phone can predict there's like a 50-50 chance that if they send me that ad, I'm probably going to want to order pizza, right? Um, But this is that on steroids. Um, And if I've opted in to allow the ads in, which is what is kind of implied, which is that humans have opted in, um, there's less agency that humans have than they think they have in this world. Um, But that doesn't mean it works for everyone. Mm -hmm. So... What, what we find out that Sirach's brother is, he's neurodivergent, right? Yeah. Um, There's something wrong um, in regards to the ways in which the uh, thermonuclear event in Paris, um, they had to take medicine um, to obviously not get radiation poisoning. And what happens is, is that medicine, he was saying, like, whereas he was able to be fine, it made him neurodivergent or had a, a very serious effect on him that he's, right. he kept noticing as they kept getting on. We kind of see that way in which um, in the one of the flashbacks when Liam's daddy, um, not D-A-D-D-I, but actual D-A-D-D-Y, daddy, mm-hmm. um, comes to talk to them about, you know, why his investment's not doing anything because it's really young. Um, it's like when Facebook was the Facebook um, and he's like, hey, what's going on? And uh, Sirach's brother's like, we should just can kill him and like get it done with. Like we don't need him. And Sirach's kind of like, what the hell? And it just, that's kind of like the trigger points that the story keeps telling us. There's something very not wrong or different with his brother, but they're not the same people. Well, and then what we find out is that Liam's father, to a certain extent, confronts Sirach when he finds out that there's certain people, um, nothing's wrong with them. So like we get an implication that there might actually be something wrong with Sirach's brother, not just neurodivergence. Um, Cause neurodivergence isn't wrong. It's just different. But like he might be like a serial killer. Um, but that there's certain people that who, too. who the system doesn't work for. So like, um, so we find out through the, a flashback that Liam's father is at one of these centers. There's these re-education centers for people who can't be programmed correctly. Um, so that they can be rehabilitated and work within the system. Um, so 
again, this is the first time we find out how widespread, because to a certain extent, as of right now, we've all assumed that like, it's like Facebook. And again, we don't even know what Facebook is anymore, but that it's like Facebook. It's like, we all log in, we accept cookies, accept whatever, and, and go about our day. Whereas by having the introduction of these re-education centers, we realize that whatever the opt-in here is, is way bigger than what we understand, whether it's like chip ingrained um, or some type of bodily integration. Um, there's a huge buy-in from, from society that must have happened at some point. Um, but Liam's father says, just like, I mean, what type of man experiments on his brother? And Sirach is like gorgeously unapologetic. Gorgeous because the actor's gorgeous, but like mm -hmm. terrifyingly unapologetic unapolo of like, my brother is not conforming to the system and the system is my God. And like, not my God in a way that I'm being critical. I'm saying that like, this is like a soul focus for this man. For him, crimes of Grindelwald here, the greater good is this system that will create a future that is different from the one that he lived, right? And so everyone is dispensable if the ultimate mission is to solidify a safer future. Um, which, I mean, that is really bone chilling because I do think the people, like, I, I don't believe that a ton of people are evil and evil in like the Voldemort-ish sense. So like in the Dolores Umbridge sense. Right. I think, um, but I do think that there is a sense of like moral superiority that we see in a lot of folks like um, who think that what they're doing is best, right? And what they're doing is for the greater good and stuff like that. And so I think we get that with um, a lot of tech folks, like I'm thinking of like Elon Musk and like, um, what's his face? Like Steve Jobs. Um, like these are folks who really believe that what they were doing was best for humans. Um, but I would question the ethical nature of a lot of what they've done. Same thing for Mark Zuckerberg. So yeah, so I'm, I'm, in, I'm interested in Sorok's kind of morality arc. Um, cause I'm actually complicated. Like I, I don't think that, that Dolores or Sorok are right. I think it's land somewhere in the middle. Wow. Um, what? I said, wow. I mean, that's, I'm told Dolores is like winning me over right now. I'm a hundred percent team Dolores. I, I do think, however, that like chaos for chaos's sake is not particularly productive. Neither is what I'm going to use quotes around like, sleep for sleeping's sake right so like like the matrix like being plugged in i don't think is particularly what the human experience was meant to be but i also don't think the human experience was meant to be chaos um so there's got to be something in the middle and that's <laughs> like, Maeve. And, I, and that might be Maeve. It, it might be um so so meanwhile we're getting these Sirach back like flashbacks um <laughs> liam uh Dolores and Caleb are having one hell of a ride mm -hmm. while Sorok's folks are riding their tails. Um, so walk me through why this episode is named genre. So this episode is named genre because what it does is it's a drug and Liam um, gives it to Caleb when he tries to escape. And so um, the theme genre is that Caleb's going to go through different genres that this drug elicits within him. And they're like, reactions that 
to how we kind of perceives reality um, and what it does to Caleb. It doesn't really disarm him though. He like, he's not like incapacitated, but he definitely is seeing things differently. And so it just makes it for like a really interesting, almost like choose your own adventure drug, I think has how you wrote it out. Um, yeah. It's really fascinating. It's like, well, which one would you like to go down? Would you go the, down the crime noir route or like the crazy club tech route? Um, and what we're really doing is we're really seeing the Caleb Dolores Liam storyline through Caleb's eyes, essentially. Um, and I think director Anna Forrester, like there's this highly stylized scene to like reflect as he switches into the different genre, um, the maximum impact of the drug on the perception of Caleb's experience um, and his reality. And so- And I mean, it's it's highly stylized, particularly in those film noir scenes, which mm-hmm. is the first hit, um, which is why probably those first like 15 minutes are so disorienting because I was like, wait, what? what is happening? Like what's yeah. happening? Yeah, um, my favorite scene was, um, I think the last scene, like kind of at the end when, and we'll get there about what happens with Liam. Um, but I mean, the ultimate char- a car chase scene was, you know, just like something pretty incredible to watch down Los Angeles, downtown Los Angeles, like me seeing like, oh, there's the Broad Museum, like all of that stuff. Oh, no, beautifully shot action sequence from point A to point B. Um with Caleb experiencing all these different genres. Um, though I will say the real winner of this episode is the music. Oh my God, um, it's incredible. So you know I'm a big fan of Ramin Jawadi. I think his scores elevate everything he works on and makes everything he does transcend. Um, but like that action, when the action sequence goes into play with Caleb, we've got Wagner's Ride of the Valkyries in that Amazing. battle scene. And it's absolutely stunning. And then when it goes into like a romance, we get um, the instrumental theme from Love Story by Franzi Lai. And, um, you know, we've got the like googly eyes and like, it's just, it was weird because like, it didn't even read as campy to me. It was just mind melding, like watching these scenes back to back to back and like, um, knowing how serious what they're doing is from a plot perspective. Like I know that something huge is coming and yet to make the directing and writing choice to do it through this lens of this drug, I think is like really brave and kind of innovative for an episode that was a lot of exposition. Yeah. Um, And it's kind of, I enjoyed the ride. Like I, I enjoyed it. I know some people found it like, I guess, like you've mentioned like a little bit disoriented or even nauseating a little bit, but I was like, okay. Like I felt like that's in a way like, Rona. <laughs> that's true. I, but I felt like I was taking this like drug with him because of how they were able yeah, to I shoot Yeah, I think it. that's what you're supposed to feel. I think the way that I felt that disorientation and stuff is how I'm supposed to feel um, because that's how it would feel to be at such a heightened experience. Anyone who's tried psychedelic drugs, um, uppers knows that like, it's full on and you can't turn it off and um, you're just mildly aware of how crazy it is externally versus internally, which I think the show does a very good um, job of showing the chaos through Caleb and then Dolores looking at him in a completely normal sense because she doesn't have the drug. Right. And so we get to see kind of that. um, And would that drug even affect her? I don't, 
I, I don't know because we don't know how their neur- neurological system. Well, remember work. in the first episode, you know, when they tried to OD her, like that didn't work. Yeah, I don't think so. Would it work on me? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Would you yeah. want to take genre during this quarantine? I would take it at Disneyland. Right, because like how boring would it be at home? Like, It'd yeah, let like, me be in my kitchen, like having like, right, a, like, like a, a film ride of the Valkyrie. Uh, then we'll do a romance in my living room. Uh, country Western in my bathroom. <laughs> oh my like God. it would just, it, it'd be too much. It'd be too much. But who so, shows up in the episode? Because they were such a screen time waste if that's all we got of them. I know. We, so we get Ash and Giggles, um, who are Caleb's friends from the Rico app. And they show up to help him and Dolores fight the Ciroc security folks. Um, and they do so very well. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then they're able to have, like Dolores is able to get from Liam the code she needs to break into Robe on the system. Um, and then she's able to pass that information along like no one's business to Connell's because Connell's is herself. So she pretty much like forwards it to herself, to her body. I'm going <laughs> to forward this email. To myself. And Connell's is chilling with Bernard. But I think in the scene where Connell's is waiting for the code, um, we get one of the most important lines of the entire like season so far. Uh, yes. That doesn't answer anything, just begs more questions. Talk me through it. Okay, so basically, um, as Connell's is kind of like controlling Bernard because they have he has him, and they're kind of back at their head, Liam's little headquarters or wherever it is. Um, and he's, once he gets the code, um, you know, he tells Bernard and Stubbs because he's waiting there with them um, to leave because essentially what's about to happen is, is if you remember the first episode when Dolores was following Liam and Connells, there was an actress that was in control. Basically, she's a Ciroc representative um, about the, sh- the shit that she's trying to pull off with them and like this kind of like who knows who, who's in on it with who, who's double teaming who. Nevertheless, she's showing up and Bernard and Stubbs are there, but Connell's being Dolores actually says they got to go. And Connell's AKA Dolores says to Bernard that Bernard is the only one who cannot be replaced. And that's why he's so important. What? What? What does that mean? I think. What does that mean? Bernard and Dolores are two of the like, well, Bernard was made right by Ford and then to mimic Arnold's to mimic Arnold's Um, But Dolores is one of like the originals. Like she's one of the oldest there. So Dolores knows the importance of Bernard um, Bernard um, and maybe what the larger game Ford has in store. Like, yeah, this is ominous. This is uh, an understanding. I think for us that like an ultimate fight scene is, is Dolores Bernard, Dolores Bernard Maeve, but that there's a lot at stake at Bernard being kept alive, which we know because he's got his Terminator with him who, who was assigned by Ford. So Ford obviously knows that Bernard is the key to something that we are not privy to. Yep. And Stubbs existing as his Terminator is just another kind of like hello from the creator saying like, yo, Bernard is way more important than you think. Like way more important, Bernard, Bernard. Um, so I thought that was like one of the things that like we need to tuck into our back pocket, but not forget. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Bernard's definitely endgame. Like Bernard is like no matter what happens, like, and we always talk about this with our recaps, like who's gonna be there at the end? Like, right? Like even like you, um, (laughs) even though you're watching Game of Thrones season eight again, I can't believe you would betray me. (laughs) Um, but uh like Bernard's definitely endgame. Stubbs isn't, in my opinion. Like Stubbs dies for Bernard sometimes. Stubbs will die for Bernard. Um, But like Maeve and Dolores are endgame. You know, and so like right. it's kind of like where is this being set up? Right, I agree. I agree. So then Dolores heads to the subway with Iggy Pop and David Bowie's nightclub and playing, which Incredible. reminded me of train. Reminded me of Train Spotting actually, um, and that's where she decides to let them all in on what her plan is. Her plan mm-hmm. isn't only to shut down the system; she wants to release all of Insight's data profiles. So that's their past, present, and future profiles to every human being on the face of the earth. So that is adequate, as they say on TikTok. Um, That is a lot. (laughs) That's not just freeing people, that's traumatizing people. (laughs) Um, But is being freed a sense of trauma? Right. I would say that this isn't, this is a bigger discussion on what freedom looks like, um, what free will looks like, um, what opting in looks like. And minority report flashback, like every way. I keep thinking of the cogs and minority report. So Liam makes the obvious argument, which is, and we hear this all the time when we talk about, um, for those of us who talk about uh, predictive data and a future in which we could do this, which is people don't want to know. Like people ignorance don't, is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. Um, you know, people want to live free of this information. Um, and I think it was recent that a Pew, a Pew Forum thing asked, if you could know the date and time that you would die, would you want to know? The percentage of folks that said I would want to know was very low very very low um would you want to know John um I already know because I've lived many years and many millennia um yeah I mean here's the thing though like this is like where like you and I like in our philosophy classes of religion would just roll our eyes at half the people that were like so into it because they were like people tend to ask grand questions that they can't even themselves answer, but then they try to answer. And that always has been like one of my biggest pet peeves. Like, it's like, "Mm, I don't think you even know the answer to this, but maybe that's my philosophy. John and I are philosophy of religion failures. We have like very little patience for it, but we do know very good philosophy of religion folks. Um, Yes. Like Kirsten Gerdes, who will be on our penultimate episode recap uh, in the future um, because she's amazing. And I totally just forgot her married name. Although I don't know if she took her married name, whatever. She's a strong fan. But either way, like for folks who are like, what is the difference? So John and I study religion and, um, and, and I would say the like experience of collective community from a sociological perspective and ask moral and ethical questions of those systems, um, including religion, cults, whatever, whatever. For folks who do philosophy of religion, um, they're more asking the why of, um, which John and I are terrible at, uh, but this is asking us the why of, of existence, like what freedom means, like what is the, what is the nature of my existence is literally what the show is built on. And I think this new question is what is the definition of freedom? And like freedom may not feel free at all. 
right? So like freedom would be to know everything that there is to know about myself. But that doesn't mean that that makes me feel free or that I would even want to know. And do I deserve to opt in or opt out, which would be the the technological kind of jargon? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I would want to know the day I died. Um, but I will say that both Liam and Dolores make great arguments for both their sides. So Liam says to Dolores, hope is what our society is built on, mm-hmm. which is pretty much saying like, dude, like you cannot hand people ultimate cosmic power and then not expect them to, to kind of unravel. If the Liam is the like, is the DNC saying Joe Biden is what we need right now. <laughs> oh, the shade. We're all um, voting for Joe Biden listeners. Don't worry. We're voting for him. Don't right. worry. Very enthusiastically. <laughs> but like, he's got a point. Like, despair and fear can do a lot to a person, right? Yeah, look but, at Trump. Right, right. That's just the tanning lotion. Dolores counteracts Liam with a just as, I think, valid response, which is, that's false hope. I'd rather live in chaos than a world controlled by you. And you is a bigger you. You is... In this instance, Robom, Liam, Sirach, but the you can be very different for all of us in different situations. Um, and again, this is where I'm like, I'd love to talk about this with Kirsten um, because it's her specialty, but I'm somewhere in between. There's got to be something between chaos and foolish hope, false hope. Um, so I don't and also, know. can you change your future? Like, though, true that is also question. another question that. I think we have an answer to based off the fact if Sirach can build a future, you can change a future. And Dolores with the push of a Connell's button does so Mm -hmm. she releases every file and everyone suddenly knows everything and chaos is unleashed. And to a certain extent, we see that Liam was kind of right on certain things. Um, There's some riots, um, which you know, I struggle with riots because, like, I also would riot on the street if I found out I had been controlled by a computer system. The one that hit me hard was that mom finding out when her daughter will commit suicide. Yeah. Like, that, like that is information that I'm like, do you want to know that? I mean, I guess as a mother, you would in hopes of being able to change that future. Um, but if the predictive data guarantees that's the day, I don't know if that's something you can change, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's so then, ultimately the question Dolores posed to Caleb when they were on the pier. Agreed. So then where do we go? So basically then um, Dolores is like, okay, bye, chaos unleashed, peace out. Um, and they all forge ahead and they keep going because the mission has basically, in essence, for Dolores, just begun. Like she just laid down like a card that moves a major chess piece forward because she still has to take out the system in a way, right? Um, and continue on with what her path is. Um, and Liam, they're on the beach, yells at them that people are like them and uh, are what makes the world a prison. Like, right, AKA he says worse. to Ash and Giggles, like, y'all, y'all don't even, because he had already told them some things about their future when he was arguing with Dolores that they shouldn't do it. And they looked horrified. But then Ash takes it into her own hands and she's like, you're a punk ass bitch, shoots him, takes his fancy insight glasses and walks off. And I'm like, I wonder if Liam saw that coming. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, 
Uh, it's like Miss Cleo. Like if Miss Cleo could really read the future, she really should have won some lotteries. Yeah, um, and, and if Miss Cleo could have seen the future, she should have seen that uh, FBI was coming for her. <laughs> so I think an important moment is as Liam kind of lays dying, obviously Dolores has what she needs. Um, Ash got to take him out from a place of like, fuck you, fuck you saying that we're trash, like fuck you saying like whatever. Liam grabs Kayla by the shirt and just keeps saying the words, you did it, you did it, you did it. And we don't know what that means. Similar to Caleb was trying to help him, you know, in whatever way. And similar to like, we don't know what it means that Bernard cannot be replaced. We don't know what it means that Liam is saying you did it. Because I don't think it's like, look, I'm dead. This is your fault. I don't, I think it is a much bigger statement. So maybe we don't know everything we think there is to know about Caleb. Yeah, there's definitely some secrets um, about Caleb because we saw of like a flash of him like older. In the war stuff, like we saw some some images that we can't make sense of, but obviously Liam with his magical glasses uh, had been able to access them at that point, right? Mm-hmm. So in the yeah. end, like walking closely through it, like Dolores, as they're still making their way out, um, making my way downtown, um, <sighs> takes some that bullets. That song was not featured in the episode. It was not, unfortunately. Really uh, Dolores takes some bullets for Caleb. And that is the moment that Caleb, I think, realizes, like, oh, man. I don't this, think bitch this, just, <laughs> this bitch ain't human. This bitch ain't human. Which, like, come on, And Caleb. he didn't know before. It's like, uh, she didn't, she, I mean, like, what the she, hell? She, like, dragged herself out of an ambulance and was like, peace. She's been the Terminator the entire time. Uh, but he doesn't seem to have a problem with following a Terminator. Um, because you know, they both kind of tell each other, we're not like other people. She's like, I'm not like other people. And he's like, me neither. And like, I think that means different things for both of them. Uh, It did make me ask myself how much the average Joe knows about Delos. Like in our world, like could something like Delos exist, like Westworld, and we wouldn't know because we're plebes and we don't make that type of money, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing though. Like what don't we know about Twitter and Facebook? Exactly. Um, so I wonder if Caleb would even have the background information to be like, oh, this looks like a robot host. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, they may also just think Westworld is like this land that, you know, it's just people that work there too. They may not know like that a theme they're park and not really have hosts. a full cognizant, like, right. Cause like, if it's so inaccessible to you, you're not going to pay attention. Right. Like I've never looked at a Rolex online cause I know I can't afford it mm-hmm. yet. No, I, I literally never need a Rolex. Um, no, and then that's the show stupid. Who wants a fucking Rolex? I always think of that Forgetting Sarah Marshall uh, scene with Paul Rudd when he's like, I haven't had a watch in forever. And like, um, what's his face? Um, uh, from How I Met Your Mother. is like super impressed with that because he's like, oh, you moved to Hawaii and you got rid of clocks. And, he, and like Paul Rudd's character is like, nah, man, I got a phone. I got a like clock on my phone. And it's like, that's how I feel about like really fancy watches. Like you don't need that. You have your phone. I don't get yeah, it. Or an iWatch. Um, or an iWatch. Exactly. Um, and then the show ends with Ciroc watching the entire system and that like arrival circle. Um, all I can think of is arrival when I see those like future circles. Um, uh, the f- future he had been Right. The future he had been building is erased and he is furious. Dot, dot, dot. Cue the next episode, which I am guessing is Maeve-centric. Maeve-centric. But what do we find out about Ciroc and what he did to Liam's daddy? 
He often. <laughs> he often, because Liam's dad, like Ciroc, they see this future that the system created. And Liam's dad was like, oh, you know, I walk out of here. But then what we find out is that his plane has quote unquote crashed. And Ciroc's like, yeah, but you know, like we all diverge somehow. And he kills him. Greater good, man. I'm telling Greater you, that's good. why when people are like Dumbledore is a good person, I'm like Dumbledore is a person. But greater good is a very dangerous slippery slope that most of us navigate every single day. So there is, I don't think there is any existence in which uh, weighing the greater good should not be something that we weigh, but it is inevitably a very slippery slope. Um, And Ciroc watching the system. Yeah. Ciroc watching the system fail basically shows that all of his actions, his brother, what he did to Liam's father, all the sacrifices. All of it was for not. Exactly. So now you're a murderer. You abused your brother. Um, yes. So like that is the slippery slope of the greater good, which is you could eventually end up just doing harm and not, not that the good, if you had accomplished it was worth it, but we have yet to really see good examples of the greater good where, where the, the harm is so minimal. Right. So I thought it was a great episode. I will need to watch it a couple more times. Um, I'm obsessed with Dolores, um, but I'm also just really interested in the questions the show's asking, particular to, like, this moment in time, this show feels really relevant. Um, The anarchy, specifically. Yeah, yeah, so I'm enjoying it. I can't wait until next week. I want to ask you a question. I think that there is only one more season left of the show. I agree. And I I want to know where you were at. I think the unleashing of this information is a setup for a final season. Right. Like, but not Game of Thrones season eight, final season. At this point, I don't know. It's like a toss up with HBO, whether or not they land a a finale. It really is. Oh, we, this episode is great. The Leftovers is a perfect, beautiful finale. Uh, Game of Thrones was hot garbage. Uh, So it's going to be a toss up. Um, I do think that like, there's a lot of women in this writer's room. There's a lot of diversity. So I'm the woman, really hoping, the co-showrunner is a woman of color. Right. So I'm, I'm hoping that we see a really good kind of like meaty ending similar to the leftovers, which wasn't just like a bow tie up kind of finale, but it was like the type of finale that you could sit with for a very long time. And I think the questions that Westworld's asking are questions you could sit with for a very long time. But you won't have to wait for us for a very long time because we'll be back with you next week. See ya. 